before I get too far into the message of Simple Life, we got a little series going here for the next couple of weeks. Uh, I did want to tell you a little bit about myself, just in case you guys don't know me, uh, and uh, mainly my testimony. I'm a local uh, boy, grew up here in Grayson County, graduated from Grayson County High School, uh, went off to college, came back, and I've been teaching. I'm a PE teacher and PE teacher and driver's ed teacher over at Grayson County High School and have been for about the last 20 years. Uh, got married a few years ago. Uh, most of you guys know my wife, Ashley. We have two daughters, Abigail and Carly Ann. And uh, yeah, so that's my family. Uh, my first Jesus moment, uh, I was probably at a very young age, five or six years old. We didn't attend church at the time. And I remember a preacher coming in uh, to our house with a couple other people. They were just knocking on doors. And, yeah, that ended with my parents kneeling at the couch and crying. And as a young child, I didn't really understand what was going on. Over the next few weeks and months, you know, we, intend, we started attending church. And I, I just seen a real transformation uh, in my parents in our home life. And, uh, you know, I really didn't know a whole lot. I, did, I definitely didn't understand the gospel. But I did see that transformation and I seen that good and uh, I wanted a piece of that so at a very young age probably seven or eight years old uh, I talked to the preacher and I came up and said the prayer at the altar uh, accepted Jesus uh, and if you would have asked me from that time until I was in college if someone asked me I said yeah I'm I'm a Christian I'm going to heaven uh in hindsight, you know, once I got in college, I wasn't living right and this, that, and the other. In hindsight, I think the only spiritual food, the only Jesus I was getting during that time was from the preacher or from any kind of devotion or anything we might have had at home or, you know, just being around my Christian friends. Uh, I was still on the milk, so to speak. I never really picked up my fork. I think Eugene coined that. Uh, he's he's going to make a t-shirt out of that soon. I never picked up my own fork and fed myself. So I kind of went astray in college. Anyway, uh, after college, came back here, you know, uh, got back into church, uh, you know, and I just, I felt like, you know, I still wasn't adding up. I still wasn't, uh, I still wasn't living right so to speak, and, you know, I was making some big mistakes in my life. So I went back to the altar, and call it what you want, rededicated my life or whatever to Christ that day. And the difference is that I begin to feed myself. I begin to get in the Word. I begin to study. I begin to pray. I begin to have a true relationship with Christ. And uh, I'm by no means a Bible scholar, and, uh, I mean, I am a PE teacher, probably a C-plus student at best, uh, so you guys, if you're looking for deeper truths today, you might, you might hear a simple message. And, uh, you know, that's what I'm all about. I like how Jesus makes things so simple. You know, a few months ago, Mike told us, the elders, that, you know, during COVID especially, he's like, you might want to have a, you know, sermon ready. You know, you never know when one of us might get sick and you might have to sub in. So I started working on this sermon and at the time, one of my favorite verses was over in Matthew 22, I think, maybe 23. Uh, but you, you guys have all heard it, and it's in all the Gospels. You know, it just says, love God and love your neighbor. You know, I like the simplicity of that. 
And I started digging around and, you know, studying in that. And I found that, the, uh, that it was also very profound, okay, when you really dig into that. It's very profound what Jesus said there. So I had this whole sermon planned out. I had my notes ready. I told Mike, you know, yeah, I got one ready. And then, like, the next week, he started a sermon series called How to Bless Your Neighbor. You remember that one? And uh, I'm not sure if he actually stole my notes, but (laughs) it sounded like it. And then, you know, when I approached him about it, he said something like, um, don't hate the player, hate the game. (laughs) No, no. He, he did not say that, but he did say, he did say, you know, that's just how it is. Somebody's always going to be stealing your sermon. So, you know, I told you all that, you know, I, uh, so I, I began to search for something else that I could talk about up here today, and uh, you guys will laugh at me. It's a little embarrassing, but did anybody ever watch the show Duck Dynasty? Man, I love that show. You know, I know it's cheesy and, you know, it's older now. People don't watch it, but it's good, clean fun. And if you don't know those guys, you know, uh, they're really uh, out to just spread the gospel throughout the world. I mean, these guys, uh, they, have own, they have their own podcast now. And, uh, you know, Phil in the show, he's, of course, in real life, too. He's the father of Willie and Jace and all those guys, the brother to Cy. But he talks about this verse a lot. And if there's one man on earth that probably lives this, you know, simple life, uh, it's probably him. And so today we're going to be in First um, Thessalonians 4. Uh, my key verse for the day is in uh, verse 11 and 12. And make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, that you will not be dependent on anybody. So you will not be dependent on anybody. So, you know, as you notice here, I'm reading, I'm pulling it out of the NIV here. Now, I don't always use the NIV, you know, with our phone now, uh, you know, that you know, you can... I like to read it in three or four different versions, you know, if I come across something, you know, but when I read this, you know, I, I looked at NIV, and I like the word, I like how they translate uh, there, the, the word ambition, okay, that's a strong word, and the definition I have here that I pulled out was a strong desire to do or achieve something, typically requiring determination and hard work, and I like that last part, requiring determination and hard work. I don't know about you guys, but I've had a lot of ambition in my life. You know, I can remember really my first ambition as a child. My dad had me downstairs, and he was showing me some of these basketball moves. And I was like, man, I like this, you know. And and so I fell in love with it. You know, they signed me up to play. And, uh, you know, if, if there was a spare moment, I had a basketball and I was dribbling it. So I made it my ambition to be a basketball player. Never gave up on that. Matter of fact, it's still a passion of mine. But later, you know, I made it my ambition to become a runner. I made it my ambition to graduate high school. I made it my ambition to go on to college and compete as an athlete. I made it my ambition to get married and have kids. Uh, I've made it my ambition in, in coaching to win titles and championships. So I've had a lot of ambition. I'm sure you guys have too. My latest ambition, though, is to become a coffee drinker, okay? <laughs> I've always liked the thought of it, but I just couldn't get past the taste. And my wife, when we were dating, she, uh, 
she asked me early on, she said, are you a coffee drinker? And I was like, nah. And she, I could tell the look in her eye that I might have made a mistake there. <laughs> luckily, luckily, I uh, was able to charm her, and she married me anyway. But, you know, the other day, a colleague of mine, I was in my office, and he came in, and he had two cups of coffee and handed me one. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> and uh, I didn't want to be rude, so I started drinking it, and I was like, man, it's pretty good. I was like... <laughs> What'd you do this? I usually don't like coffee. He's like, creamer. <laughs> Turns out that I'm not such a coffee drinker, but a creamer drinker. But my wife and I can now, she's begged me for years to start drinking coffee. So, so now, you know, I can get up and I fix her cup, I fix me cup, and we, we sit down, we have our little time together. So it's been good. So here's what Marquise Cox says about and he's a pastor somewhere, uh, about ambition. The ambition of an athlete to win a championship, the ambition of intellectuals that drive them to do and create things we thought we'd never see in our lifetime. Flat out, ambition is compelling. So there's no wonder Paul used that here in this verse, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You know, just so I don't take the verse completely out of context, try to apply it to today. I do want to share a little bit about you, why Paul would say that to the Thessalonians. And um, Paul wrote this letter to the church uh, that he established there. And if we look in Acts 17, verses 1 through 4, we can see where Paul, uh, the, the beginning of the Thessalonica church, Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of Amphipolis and Apollina and came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service and for three Sabbaths in a row he used the scripture to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and provided, uh, proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead, he said. This Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. So we see kind of the beginning of the church there. If we read on, we see very quickly that they get run out of town. Uh, so later, Paul sends Timothy uh, back there to check on them. And in 1 Thessalonians, excuse me, 4, the verse is right before ours in verse 9 and 10. But but we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. So if we jump over to uh, 2 Thessalonians in chapter 3, it kind of gives us some clues on uh, why Paul might have wrote this uh, verse 11 and 12. Even while we were with you, with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work, and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. So uh, many commentators or many people uh, believe that maybe the Thessalonians had just quit working. You know, they said, Jesus is coming. Okay, he's coming back. He's coming back soon. So they just quit working. Uh, and, you know, he uses words, if we read on, like idleness and laziness and busybodies. 
Uh, so I think that's why Paul wrote that here. And uh, so Paul writes, make it your ambition to lead, to lead a quiet life. This brings me to my first point. It's not easy to live uh, a quiet life in a loud world. And I think we can look at this verse and we can maybe apply it to our lives here in 2022. Uh, how do you live a quiet life in a culture that screams, be loud and proud of yourself? In a culture that says, make as much money and, and consume as much as possible. A culture that says, you need to buy and store up as much as we possibly can. You know, only a few short years ago, especially in this part of the country, you know, looking back growing up, uh, you know, I got a pair of school shoes. Uh, if I were playing basketball that year, I got a pair of basketball shoes and maybe some running shoes. And then you always had your work boots and dress shoes. Those, those would last for a few years. So you may have five, maybe six pairs of shoes. If you step back a generation before mine, you know, you hear your parents and grandparents say that they only had the one pair of shoes, okay? Uh, a study I came across said that the average American now owns 19 pairs of shoes, okay? And, uh, you know, I'm guilty myself being a runner. You know, I've got plenty of shoes. And some of you may be on the high end of that or way surpass it, and some of you may be on the low end of that. A culture that says your voice and opinion matter even if you weren't asked. Social media platforms that are set up to, to, to promote yourself. Platforms that scream, look at me. A culture that says, you do you. A culture where fashion changes so fast that last month's styles are in the landfills and our oceans. You know, when I first started teaching 20 years ago, uh, and I'm sure it's the same at Galax and Carroll and all the Southwest Virginia, came back and I was, you know, fresh out of college, and I've never really been in style, but I could tell right off that I was ahead of where we were in Grayson County. They were kind of looking at me funny. Uh, you know, and you notice that, you know, especially in the beginning of my career, you know, we would be six months, a year, maybe two years behind in, in the latest fads or fashions. And sometimes that was a good thing, and sometimes it could be a bad thing. Uh, but now, you know, with the Internet, everything's lightning speed. If you see it on TV or if you see it on the Internet, our kids are wearing it. You know, our, the fads are here really fast now. Uh, funny story, too. I mentioned I teach driver's ed. Uh, you know, my wife does a lot of traveling out of, out of the uh, out of the area into big cities and says, anybody else driving the city lately? Man, it's it's just a hustle and bustle, horn after horn after horn. Uh, and so I have to tell my students that if you go somewhere like Charlotte downtown or something like that, and you're at the traffic light, and if you don't hit that gas immediately, you're going to get a horn honk, okay? I have to remind them that that horn honk doesn't mean they want to fight you. Because... <laughs> Because here, if somebody honks their horn at you, man, that's serious business, okay? <laughs> so the question is, how do you live a quiet life in a loud world? I came across this in my studies. First, a quiet life begins with a quiet heart, a heart that is settled on who we are in Christ. When our 
hearts are firmly fixed in our identity as belonging to Christ, then we can rest knowing that God sees us and knows every detail about us. And that is enough because he is enough. When I embrace a, embrace a quiet life, I embrace God as the true source of everything I need. I turn to him before I turn to social media or even friends. When I ask a close friend what he thought a quiet life meant, he said a quiet life is le- living right. A qu- to lead a quiet life, we must uh, put Christ first. And I think, you know, just to add in my two cents there, I think putting Christ first, uh, we, we have to be intentional, you know, intentional about uh, putting Christ first and, you know, intentional about getting up and getting in the Word right off the bat, intentional about praying first, intentional about meditating and serving uh, and, you know, we just, we just have to put the hard work and the discipline in and be intentional in our daily life. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. This brings me to my second point. Don't insert your input or actions where it's not needed, okay? And, and this is very easy to do, obviously, in this day and age. Uh, we like to do that, especially on the Internet, you ever see a social media post and you're just like, man, I just want to, I, I can't help myself. Uh, Mike always says, I've heard him say this, you know, think before you post. Some other sound advice may be, don't say anything that you wouldn't say to someone in person, okay? And Mike done a sermon series not, you know, too awfully long ago. He had some good, good advice in there for us, you know, and one of them was something like, do you use the internet to make much of yourself or much of Jesus? And that was something that I thought was really good. So, you know, talking about driver's ed a little bit today and being out on the road, we got any road ragers in here? Okay. You'll notice, too, that you, 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 you are your parents. Okay, you say the same things they said. I catch myself all the time, and now I hear Carly in the back sometimes chiming in saying things that um that I would say so you know here's another thing I tell my students you know we're really brave when we're behind the screen we're also really brave when we're in that bubble okay could you imagine walking down the street and yelling things at people uh like you know speed up up there you know what are you (laughs) you know (laughs) uh I like Proverbs. I, got a couple, I pulled a couple verses out of there that kind of relate to this. In, in Proverbs 26, 17, interfering in someone else's argument is foolish as yanking on a dog's ears. And Proverbs 26, 20, and 21, where there's no wood, a fire goes out, and where there's no gossip, contention ceases. Like charcoal is to burning coal, and wood is to fire, so is contentious person to kindle strife. Okay, so, you know, talking about minding our business, we should certainly be careful And you know, I'm the world's worst. You know, I like, you know, Friday, uh, you know, the big gossip around the school was that our quarterback wasn't going to play on Friday night. So that was the buzz, you know. It wasn't necessarily bad gossip or anything, but it just spreads like wildfire. Uh, you know, so we've got to be careful, you know, and, and we're drawn to that. So we've got to be intentional uh, about not getting caught up into that. What I was going to say here, though, was that sometimes, uh, you know, we're called into a messy situation. 
you know. Sometimes God wants us to insert ourselves. Are, are, are you willing to step in there and insert yourself in a messy situation? Uh, so you've got to keep that in mind as, as you try to mind your business. And make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Mind your business and work with your hands. I like this part. My third point, do, you, do, your, do the work that you were called to do. Do the work that you were called to do. Uh, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Creator of the universe, the Almighty, the Trinity, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Great I Am had a day job. And this is what Marcus Nodder had to say about Jesus' Jesus' day job. Jesus began his three-year public teaching ministry at the age of about 30. People in his hometown made a fascinating comment recorded in Mark 6.3. They said, is not this the carpenter? We don't know much about the first 30 years, but we do know this. Jesus did a regular job. He worked as a carpenter for years, and that's worth reflecting on. And, you know, we've all heard that, you know, Jesus was a carpenter, but have you ever really just thought that he'd done that to provide for himself? You know, we don't know a whole lot before then, but we do know that, you know, he, he had to find something to eat every day. He had to, you know, you know, he had to be part of the family and take care of his family. Uh, so are we doing the work that we were called to do? One of my favorite movie quotes uh, comes from the movie The Rookie. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. For those of you that haven't seen it, I'll try to give you a quick summary of it. There's a kid, he's a baseball player in the beginning, and it shows him progressing into the high school and the college ranks. Uh, he's a great player, and no doubt he would have probably got drafted, but at some point there was a, a, a shoulder injury, you know, the typical blew my knee out or I would have made it. But this is based on a true story. And he had, a, his, he had some shoulder surgery. He had to quit playing baseball. So the movie kind of begins. He's a high school baseball coach. And he's got a kind of a ragtag bunch. And uh, anyway, as the movie goes along, uh, something happens. He has to start throwing BP. Okay? And he starts out, you know, throwing, you know, just putting them across the plate. And eventually, you know, he starts throwing harder and harder and harder. And he's like, man, I'm bringing it pretty good again here. Uh, what's going on? So the kids make the deal with him that if they win the sectional or conference or whatever, that he's got to go try out. So, of course, he does. And he ends up throwing like 100 miles an hour or whatever. So now he's faced with this dilemma. You know, that was always his dream to go along and be a baseball player. But he's faced with this dilemma, should I stay in the job that I'm at that's providing for my family, that's, uh, that's our security, or should I tra chase this dream that I had, you know, before the injury? So he goes and asks his dad, who his dad wasn't a, a big fan of his baseball career to begin with, and this is what his dad had to say to him. Your grandfather once told me it was okay to think about what you want to do until it's time to start doing what you were meant to do. So, uh, you know, that's always just, I, I just love that verse, or I love that quote there that he gave us. Uh, I believe God created each of us to do something very specifically, you know, in our daytime job, okay? Uh, the fact is, though, he didn't create us all to be, something magnificent he didn't create us to be doctor all of us to be doctors or lawyers or surgeons or you know he created 
some of us just to live the simple life, to have a simple job and just go about our business and live our daily life, just like Paul gives the example here. Good example of this, a couple weeks ago, we were coming back from a cross-country meet, and we stopped in at McDonald's, and uh, it, I just wasn't in the greatest mood. I mean, come in, I just want a cheeseburger. And the guy's, you know, he starts talking to me immediately as soon as I come through the door, which is kind of odd. How you doing today, sir? He said, I'm good. I just want a cheeseburger, dude. Uh, <laughs> uh, so he starts talking to me, and I'm like, yeah, I want the number three, man. I want that double quarter pounder. Uh, and he's talking, you know, asking me questions about my life, you know, and I'm like, Okay. Anyway, my buddy, you know, I get my food, goes down. My buddy, you know, he's with me and does the same thing to him. Buddy comes back and he's like, man, what's the deal with that guy? It's like, I don't know. So we start watching him. Everybody comes to the door. Hey, how you doing today, ma'am? Hey, I like your jacket. How could I help you? You know, he's telling all these people. And it kind of hit me because I was already working on this sermon. I was like, that guy is doing his job, you know, doing what God called him to do. You know, maybe that's not what he's going to be stuck in the rest of his life, but he's there, and he's doing the best job he could, and he's living his daily life uh, in a way that could gain the respect of outsiders. So make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and work with your hands just as he told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. This brings me to my next point. How we go about our daily life impact others or how we go about our daily life matters you know recently we're on a life group here at church and last week we were talking about discipleship and we just came out of a series not too long ago about discipleship and you know we're just talking about how our daily life matters and how it impacts people around us and someone said we should invite others into our real life though we won't be perfect Uh, We need to strive to put our best foot forward. Sometimes people need to see the real you with real problems, with real struggles, and see how you react and respond to those. And, you know, sometimes we mess up in those daily life decisions and mistakes, and it's okay to circle back. I think it's important for us to circle back and ask for forgiveness or let people know we didn't handle that situation correctly. And uh, the other thing to remember, I think, is, you know, we recognize our the people right around us, like our family, our friends, our colleagues, you know, obviously they're watching us and we're kind of a mentor or a model for them. But sometimes, you know, you don't know, maybe the least likely person is watching you. So a few years ago, I used to coach uh, men's basketball over at Grayson County. Uh, I had the honor to... uh, to go to a church gathering that was honoring Coach Burrell Brown. I don't know if you guys know Coach Brown. He's a good guy. He's a longtime basketball coach, won a couple state titles over there. And if you know anything about, the, if you're from here, the Grayson-Galax rivalry is crazy, okay? It's not normal, okay? And neither is the Carroll-Galax rivalry. I know that. So for me to say this, and I came across my old notes when I was thinking about this, for me to say this is a big deal, Even though I consider Coach Brown and his team my biggest rivalry, I also watch how he handles himself on on and off the floor. I notice how all of his players seem to respect him and all the students 
all the students and colleagues seem to love him. I notice how he conducts himself during the games, and I notice that he is a Christ follower. I only hope that through hard work, I can become more like him. So the question is, you got to ask yourself, who's watching you and how are you influencing them? Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. My last point, you know, here before we close, uh, are we compelling or repelling unbelievers? Marquise Cox said this, Our ambitions in life should be so compelling that outsiders ask, how are we living in such a countercultural manner? So let me ask you this. Would you say that the life you're leading uh, is compelling others or repelling others? And, you know, if I ask myself this question, i got to say that there's some areas in my life that, that need some work that I've probably repelled others. So if this is a case for you, I ask you uh, or I encourage you uh, to lead the kind of life that would compel others. In closing, uh, I think Paul gives us a pretty good example here how to, uh, how to live this, the simple life or the quiet life. And uh, as the praise team comes back up here, I'll try to land this plane, as Mike says. <laughs> you know, in response, you know, here's what I got to ask myself. Am I leading a quiet life? Uh, what what changes could I make in my daily life uh, that would uh, that I can be intentional about that could help me? And uh, you know, am I truly doing what call, God called me to do? And you know, I always thought that uh, you know maybe I was doing what I wanted in life until the past year or so. You know, I kind of you know, started thinking around, do I really, you know, I'm 20 years in, you know, do I really want to continue to do this? Uh, but, you know, I've, I've realized that what I'm doing is what I'm supposed to be doing, and I hope that you guys uh, feel the same way about what you're doing. So I invite you, make it your ambition to live the kind of life that would make believers out of unbelievers. You know, that's really all I have, guys. Uh, let me encourage you, though, today, uh, before I pray and before these guys start singing that, you know, if, if, there's, if you're on the fence, you know, about this whole Jesus thing, uh, you know, come back, see one of us. You know, you're, like I said in the beginning, you know, when I was a child and I, I didn't know much. I didn't know, I didn't understand everything I, and I still don't understand. I'm still growing in the faith, you know, 30 years later. Okay, I'm still growing and... You know, you don't have to know much, but you just got to know, you just got to you know, lay your sins down. Lay, you know, if you've got burdens and guilt today, you know, just lay them down, you know, and let Jesus take those and follow him. And, uh, yeah, I'll just pray here. Father God, we just like to thank you for this day, Lord, and uh, thank you for all that's here today, Lord, and I pray that uh, they'll be able to go through the week, Lord, and be intentional about their daily lives and uh, live the kind of lives that might compel unbelievers. And Lord, if there's one here today that's on the fence, Lord, we pray that uh, they'll just lay it down in front of you and just pick up their cross and start following you, Lord.
Thank you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.